We want to welcome you to tonight's teaching. Say, I am an overcomer. We're in a series on the overcomer. And tonight, we're going to begin to talk about relationships. The fellowship of the mat. Someone say, there's another door. There's always another door. We're going to talk about the wonderful fellowship of the mat. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we welcome your Holy Spirit into this room. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to bring life and hope to us. Have your will in this room tonight. Let us receive from you and bless those who are listening by podcast. May they be ministered to as well. May they receive wherever they are, Lord. There's no distance in what you do in our lives. So we commit it all to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. The Fellowship of the Mat. How many Lord of the Ring fans do we have in the room? Oh, yes. We could have all dressed accordingly. But I chose the title of The Fellowship of the Mat. There's another door. I'm going to read to you from Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again, someone say again, entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, I want you to say, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, critics, thinking to themselves, why does this fella talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, someone say immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit. That means he perceived what they were saying without hearing them. He perceived in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Someone say amen. Number one on your paper, everybody has a mat. That is your fill-in. Everybody has a mat, or what is known as an as-is tag. An as-is tag. Um, Pastor Todd created this mat, this mat to represent what the paralytic would have carried and the statements of as is. I want you to say, I have an as is tag. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, you do. But the friends in Mark 2 decided they wouldn't let anything get in their way. So strong was their faith in Jesus. And so great was their love for their friend. Great community gets built by roof crashers. I want you to say, I want to be a roof crasher. You see, that mat that he carried, according to society, should have created a gulf between him and them. But instead, it became an opportunity for servanthood and sacrifice. In certain stores you go into, you will find available products. We've talked about this before. As is. Someone say damaged goods. I mean, slightly irregular. It's the department of something gone wrong. So if you see a flaw or a stain, don't come whining and complaining, they'll say to you. We mark that as is. Someone say as is. I mean, if you don't want it, you don't have to buy it. But if you buy it, it is as is. It means if you see a TV and there's a sign on it that says as is, it means if you were coming to look for perfection you came to the wrong store. I love to go to stores that are as is. You can get great bargains. But in this universe, human beings, say I am a human, is the corner, the department of as is of the universe. There's a little flaw here, a streak of deception in that one, a cruel tongue here, a passive spirit in that one, an out of control temper. And this is the way it goes in dealing with humanity. We're not going to tell you where it is, but you come close, you're going to get to see it. Can someone say amen? One of my favorite books is Everybody is Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Can I get an amen? It's so true. It kind of goes like this about the uh, fellowship of the mat, the community of roof crashers. 
I feel like I'm quite humble when I'm, when I'm by myself. But when I'm up with other people and I hear someone receiving all the praise, a voice that's decidedly not humble starts to protest inside loudly. Can I get an amen? When I'm all alone and I'm watching Hallmark, I'm quite compassionate. I feel so good about humanity. I feel one with all human beings. But then if it gets down where the rubber meets the road and I've got to show some compassion to some real humans, I'm not as quite as friendly as I think I am. Can I get an amen? And then there's those people that know me by the first name and they call me and they're so friendly and they're so talkative until they find out I am not interested in my car warranty. Can I get an amen? And then all of a sudden they hang up and the warmness goes out because some people want to be your friend to use you, but true community says, I want to be your friend even when you can't help me. In my dreams, as one man said, I all feel very passionate and determined to serve humanity, yet I get quite incapable of living in one room for two days with another human. Can I get an amen? While we're alone, we can think we can get along with anyone, but we all have, what's it called? As is. Everyone say, as is. A temper we can't control. We may lash out at people. Fear, inability to trust, a sense of failure, a mat that stands between us. But this man, everyone say this man. This man in Mark 2 had a mat that was three feet wide and six feet long. No surgery could have healed him. No treatment center was available to him. He dreamed of a healthy body only to wake up and see the ceiling and know that his as is tag was three feet wide and six feet long. He didn't have a job. He would go to bed the next night and dream that he was in a healthy body, that he was walking and running and doing work and maybe married and playing with children. But the next morning, someone say the next morning, he would wake up to see that same ceiling and realize, I wonder tonight if I'm speaking to someone in this room or someone that's listening, that your as-is tag seems to be there every day. But one day Jesus came to town and these four friends said, we can't go by ourselves. You wonder how many times they had carried him. You wonder how many times they had left him. But when they got there, someone say when they got there, it was packed. I mean, before the verse was written, that you know is written in the Bible. You know this, don't you? If you put your Bible in the chair where you sit on Sunday morning or Wednesday night and someone sits in it, they shall be cast into utter darkness. Can I get an Amen. This was before that day, and they took all the good seats. And here they were. Number two, life's greatest opportunities are not always obvious. Life's greatest opportunities are not always obvious. God often disguises our calling in unusual ways of opportunity and opposition. God disguised the great deliverer in a basket, and his name was Moses. God disguised a king in a field keeping sheep, and his name was David. God disguised the savior of the world by sending him in diapers to a manger, and the very people he was supposed to help couldn't even recognize him. And this man was facing opposition. It says on your paper underneath number two, we keep pushing people off of roofs we should be lowering them through. We will be remembered for our love, not our opinions. And these four friends chose to not leave somebody behind that was a little slower. Somebody behind that had some quirks. You see, in the ancient world was even harsher than us. The Greeks disposed of babies in the time that we are reading the story. The Greeks disposed of babies born with physical anomalies. Aristotle wrote, let there be a law that no deformed child shall ever be raised. Rome, 5th century B.C., a statue was on the books, quickly kill a deformed child. Can someone say, oh me. This was the standard of thinking, but even in Israel, someone say, even in Israel, even in Israel, there was a stigma that if you were born with a situation that they would ask, who sinned, your parents or someone else? In John 9, Jesus' disciples sees a blind man, and they ask Jesus, 
Why was this man born blind? Was it his parents sinned or did he sin? And Jesus said, neither one. This man was born blind that the glory of Christ can be seen in him. Because Jesus knew on that day he was going to open those blind eyes and he was going to raise that man up. Be careful what your critics say. Be careful what the voice of condemnation says that always wants to tell you why things happen. We better submit most of our wives to God and ask him to get the glory. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Come on, right where you are. But here's what's going on. You know, teachers can get a little touchy about being interrupted. I know that from experience. You'll know Jesus came in the fullness of time. He came before cell phones. He knew what he was doing. He came before beepers and pagers. But this big interruption started from the ceiling. The sound had to be tremendous. We don't know because Mark doesn't speak of the sound. He speaks of what Jesus saw is what I'll get to. And there is Jesus teaching. He's in a flow. Things are going great. And all of a sudden, plaster stops dropping on the teacher, Rabbi Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed son of God, whom we call Jesus Christ. Plaster falls on his head. All of a sudden, straw falls on his head. Miracles can be messy. Look at your neighbor and say, miracles can be messy. We all want it clean. We want what we can control. But when God does something, he doesn't care what mess is made. And it's falling on the head of the teacher. Now tonight, I would not be excited about this ceiling. Thank you, Lord. Falling in on my head in front of you. I remember growing up, I didn't understand in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, we lived on Oakland Drive. I didn't understand that my mother went and paid for a set every week. Anybody grew up with a mom that did that? You got your hair styled and then you wrapped it up with things and you kept it that way. I didn't realize that and I would take a shower and about an hour later I would hear my mother scream, Rhonda! And I knew I had done the unpardonable. Come on somebody. I forgot to turn off the shower and mama's co-first set went down the tube. Come on somebody. But this is what happened with Jesus. Someone say Jesus. It doesn't say what he heard but it says what he sees. The roof is being torn off, and the Bible says he looks up and he sees their faith. Not the paralytic's faith. He sees the four men, sweaty, dirty, anxious, and hopeful, trusting that the Lord Jesus would respond. Do you know tonight, do you have any idea what the faith of one person can do? Do you have any idea, number three, humility and trust are more at the foundation of community than perfection? Humility. You see, he had to allow them, we'll keep moving through this, to take him there. We often say, it's been said, as long as I've been alive, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. How many have heard that before? If you were the only one. But it's funny how tense and apprehensive and methodical and contemplative we become when we think we're only going to minister to one. People say, well, there might not be any better than that. It doesn't matter for one. I'm going to tell you, we got to come back to understand one person is worth it. Can I get an amen? So here is Jesus, and he sees their faces. He sees them. We want to look in control. We want to look together, but we must have a community that's more focused on humility and trust than perfection. If you're going to any community, at this church or any other church, I've heard people say, I got hurt at that church. I'm not going to go back to church. I got hurt. Well, I got hurt at Walmart, but I still make my way back down there. I got hurt one time at CVS. I still make my way back down there. Anybody with me? I got hurt driving through Zaxby's, but I still make my way over there. We use excuses expecting perfection when Jesus says what I'm looking for is humility and trust. I wanted to show you a picture I'm going to bring up of some people that lowered me through a roof in 1983. Um, that is my roommates. Uh, most of them, I'll explain who the men were. They didn't live with us, even though they did eat a lot of meals with us. The tall man is Perry Kite, and underneath him is my dear friend Melissa. Um, to the, let's see, let me look back. To the left of her is Matt. Matt and Perry are both in heaven. But the girls in the front are Kinette, Rhonda, Melissa, and Denise. People that lowered me down into Jesus' presence. Tonight, I wonder if you would ask yourself, who does God need me to crash a roof for? 
and who crashed a roof for me. These people, I'll tell you the reason I showed you their picture, they watched me as my life was turned upside down. They watched me as God excavated my heart. They watched me be humbled and humiliated through circumstances when the Lord said, I'm going to sequester you, Rhonda, for about six weeks while I heal your insides. I mean, anything I touched my hand, my jobs all uh, didn't schedule me. I, I, I just was at home by myself at 740 Walker Street. But it was there. It was those people that were roof crashers. It was those people that prayed with me in the midnight hour. It was those people that gave me words. It was those people that said, we believe in you. We don't know what God is doing in this moment. But this one thing we know, we're committed to get you to the other side. And that picture is from Pastor Hank and I's second wedding. If you don't know that story, right before we left. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Roof crashers. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be... A roof crasher. So coming back to this uh, paralytic, you have to wonder, the statement on your paper, because I thought it was important enough to include, he had been disappointed so many times before. Would this time be the same? Would this time be the same? The Bible talks about hope appointing, but we know we've been disappointed in ourself. We've been disappointed in others. We've been disappointed in God because he didn't do something in the way in the time we thought. We've been disappointed in God's calendar. We've been disappointed in our growth. We've been disappointed in so many ways. And on this day, he could have said, I'm not letting y'all pick up my mat and take me to this place where this rabbi is. Because it's a miracle when you've been disappointed that you begin to ask God for something in the same place you were disappointed. Can I get an amen? And this is the cool thing. When they got there, and everybody thinks, oh, they intended. They knew they were going to. No, they were going to take him through the front door. Everyone say the front door. And don't we all want a front door miracle? Don't we all want that? Don't we want God to do it this way? But as long as I have served him, I promise you, whatever way I think he's coming, he comes another way. Can I get an amen? If I think he's coming through the side window, he's coming through the left window. If I think it's going to be my boss, just making some things here for you, it won't be my boss, it'll be a co-worker. If I think I've got to see this famous preacher, these things have never been my rhythm, but I'm just trying to make it sense. God will use a banker to minister to me. I'm going to tell you, God is God. And even in our disappointments, he said, I know you think you want a front door testimony, but at the end of the day, I'm going to show my salvation and do something you could have never dreamed. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that tonight. Come on. Come on. I love this. But hear this. We talked about this in hearing the voice of God. This is so good. What if they got, they got there and there was no room? They said, just forget it. If it had been God's will, we'd have gotten a seat. You ever said that? If it had been God's will for me to have that job, I would have got the first call back. And you're on hold for six months. If it had been God's will for this battle to turn for me, it would have turned soon. You see, they could have used circumstantial evidence and said, which I told you, fleeces and circumstantial evidence is the most suspect of the way you hear from God because they're unpredictable. What if they had said, we just need to go home. There's no way in. There's nothing. We can't do this. We wanted to come in the front door. They went thinking they were going to come through the front door. So the door they went through was the door of disappointment on your blank. Disappointment. 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 He's already has disappointment. Someone in your life, in my life, someone listening, someone that will listen has been disappointed. I thought, God, I really thought that thing was going to make a difference. I got prayed for that Wednesday night, and then the battle seemed to come back the next week. I tried this, and then the answer didn't come. I tried that, but God says, at the end of the day, I have more in mind for you than you had for yourself. Let the disappointments push you into me, says the Lord. Let the disappointments make you lean into me. We ask for a prop up, but God says, I want to give you an open door. Number four, it takes humility to identify my own mat. Everyone say my own mat. And not just use my spiritual gift to identify yours. Yes. Isn't it funny, this, the, the people I just showed you, the four women, one night when we lived at Walker Street, we still laugh about this. Everybody's pretty well in full-time ministry now, except the two that are in heaven, and they're in ministry there. 
But we talk and laugh about it because we had one of those nights we were all going to tell each other what got on our nerves about each other. You ever done that? Do not do it. I mean, it's funny. You chew with your mouth open. You cut your Somebody said, you cut your potato up with a knife. And someone said, you hang the washcloth over the... I remember it went on and on till finally everybody got mad at each other. They were slamming doors. Everybody going to their own room. One gal in that picture, whose name I shall not mention, went to sleep in her car. She got so mad. And then by the next morning, we couldn't stop laughing about it. Be careful when we just want to identify everybody's map. Jesus said, don't be concerned about the speck in your, but get the, the beam or the log out of your own. It's so easy to see what gets on my nerves about you. you don't, none of you get on my nerves. I'm just saying if we were really living together. Um, it's so easy. But when someone begins to tell you, my sister and brother-in-law were telling me a funny story because she didn't like certain wrinkles she was getting around her mouth. And one night they were sitting watch TV, and Terry said, you're doing it again. She said, I'm doing what? Well, you're doing your mouth that way. You said you didn't want those wrinkles, but you keep doing it. You keep pursing your lips. You keep doing it like this. They got so mad at each other until they got, you know, to laughing about it. But we need to better at identifying what's my mat. I want you to say, I have a mat. I have an as-is. I have a habit, I have a hurt, I have a hang-up. If you don't know that, if, if, then just go on a trip for a long time with people for several days, ride in a bus. We took, uh, one time I took two vans, up, uh, two Suburbans up to speak in Maryland, took a lot of the creative team, dancers, all that, and uh, we came up with a little statement. You got to get along to go along. Someone say you got to get along to go along because there was a lot of not getting along in that thing. And uh, we realize that. Or you go, as we say, get stuck in traffic with someone. You're going to see their as-is tag. But right underneath that, it says, Jesus sees a little island. Say, when he sees their faces. Say, when he sees their faces. He sees a little island of shalom is the blank. Shalom. In a sea of brokenness. Shalom has many meanings in the original Hebrew language. One, of course, is peace. The other is total wholeness. Nothing missing and nothing broken. He sees people who love even in the face of a giant as-is tag. He had to think this is humanity at its finest when you and I can believe for someone. Number five, let me go on. To believe for people that can no longer believe for themselves is a gift from God. To believe for people that can no longer. Who does that the most? God does that. On the worst day of my life or your life when we could not believe in ourselves, God believed in us. God lowered us down through the roof. Um, I came upon this book, and I hope I can find it because I had bookmarked it, and my bookmark fell out. Um, and if I can't, I'll just tell it by memory. This is God's Living Room by Dr. Herb Walker. It's of the times in New York City of David Wilkerson, the times of the cross and the switchblade. My father, uh, we all know Herb Walker. He's in heaven. And there's a chapter in here about my father. My father went up to work the streets um, as a minister with Herb and his wife and with David Wilkerson. He met gangbangers and all of that. I remember a story of a young man that he tapped on the face. And I said, Daddy, did he try to hit you back? He said, no, I didn't slap him, honey. I just tapped him to get his attention. But there was a young man named Chris in this story. God's living room was a place where people from the street came. People that didn't have a home. People, they called it God's living room where there was music being played. And a young man, Chris, came in and told the story. His stepfather had turned away from him. Just a horrible life and he was living on the streets. But in God's living room, he encountered my dad. It says Reverend Cecil Giles was with us for this week in New York City. And Cecil Giles encouraged him, Chris, your parents are wanting to know where you are. Your parents' heart are our hearts are broken. You write them a letter, and I promise you, Chris, when I leave New York and I get back to my home state, which at that time we lived in Chattanooga or Alabama, he said, I will send the letter to your parents. He wrote the letter. Daddy sent the letter and this young man, his parents came to him, restored him, and he's in full-time ministry. I love it when one person believes for someone else. Come on. When you can't believe for yourself. Speaking of my time at 740, I found this recently. Um, in December of 1983, when I was going through my inner healing, 
um, when all my jobs were canceled, I didn't have any money, and I wanted to do something for my parents and my siblings, so I made them devotional books. Go figure. My parents kept this one. I can't tell you how priceless it is. My handwriting was fantastic, which just really irks me, but I was young. But at any rate, um, but I made them in the scriptures. I was in the middle of an opposition time in my life when God was doing something bigger, when God was tearing off the roof as he wants to in your life and for those people that you love. And so I had written all these scriptures to them and expressed my devotion and heart toward them. But I said, these scriptures tell how you've ministered to me out of your love. Because of your unselfish giving and caring, I'm forever grateful. And I went on to say, Mom and Dad, God is not unrighteous to forgive your work and labor of love, which you have shown in his name. And then I said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then I broke it down for them in case they didn't know. I mean, they're full-time seminary people, but I wanted to break it down. You invited me. You welcomed me in from the storm of my life. That's what the community of the mat does. You clothed me. You looked after me. When I was emotionally sick, you encouraged me and you gave me a reason. When I was full of bitterness and hurt, you helped me. When I was in prison, when I was bound, you lifted me up by freedom. It's a beautiful thing when you can look back on the roof crashers, but I want to tell you something tonight. Someone is looking to you as a roof crasher tonight. Number six, a roof crasher is when I put in my ATM pin, my faith, faith is that blank, but you, someone else, receive the money, the miracle. What does that mean? It's like I go up to an ATM, I punch in my number, $500 comes out, but I walk away and I let the person after me. How many would like to have that deal? I let the person after me get the money. That's what they did. Jesus saw their faith. Say their faith. Your faith can move the heavens for someone. Your faith can move it for yourself with no seemingly benefit of them doing what they had to do. They sacrificed with their faith. They sacrificed. Jesus saw their faith. I want to tell you tonight, in case you're wondering, what does roof crashing look for you and I? Some people I know have roof crashed this week. A fellowship of the mad have taken food to people who didn't have any. They've just texted people that were discouraged. Other people took people to, uh, things to people that were sick. Some people gave $20 to someone who didn't have any money and was homeless. I'm going to tell you this. People's mats are awkward and heavy, but Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This is the bottom line. When there is fellowship, when there are people helping people, whether it's here or somewhere else, Jesus shows up. Someone give Jesus a hand clap tonight. Your next blank, the door of opposition. The door of opposition. He couldn't get in the door. There was no room. Tonight, you may feel like that something is blocking you. You may feel like something is blocking plans that you want to have or blocking plans for someone that you love. And this opposition keeps rising and rising. And you just want to say, Lord, the Lord is saying to you tonight, there's always another door. We're going to get to this, but I want to tell you something about opposition tonight. He couldn't get in the door, and his critics were in the room. But opposition produces opportunity. Say that with me. Opposition produces opportunity. You see, you don't know um, life's greatest opportunities was number two. They're not always obvious. They didn't know they were fixed to be in the middle of a miracle. I encourage you, when God moves your heart to encourage a co-worker, do it. Crash that roof. When God encourages you to call someone, do it. When God encourages you to reach out, you say, well, they're tired of hearing from me. I've texted them every week, no response. Do it one more time because I've known some miracles when people just wouldn't give up. Can I get an amen? God uses that opposition in your life. Listen to me. We just want hardship to go away. Anybody with me? I mean, we want the good old ship lollipop, whatever Shirley Temple used to sing. You know, we just want those sunny days, drinking iced tea. I just want everybody to happy. My dear friend Melissa and I would often say, we just want everyone to be happy. Why can't you all just get along? We just want you to be happy. But I want you to repeat after me. I will 
never grow without opposition. You will never grow without it. And I'm going to tell you, as we talked last week about giants, there'll never come a time that there won't be opposition. There won't be an obstacle. But here's what Christ says to us through this passage. He says, this hardship is going to serve my purpose. That obstacle, that hardship at work with someone you love, that situation that's going on in your life, Christ says, what you don't understand, and this is going to serve my purpose because I'm going to do something in your life if I were to tell you, you would not believe because hardship forces you to Christ. Happy days makes you thankful, but hardship is a resume that the enemy comes away wishing he had never messed with you. And what I think you need to get in your heart and what I and those listening tonight is on our resume when people ask, and often people will ask, how did this happen? How did that happen? Um, you know, how did you learn how to do this? And I will never give credit, and I've said this before, two years at Lee University, I will never give credit to seminary. What I will give credit is to the hard times, the opposition that you got up and walked when nobody was with you, or maybe very few, when you kept going, when it kept being pressed, because opposition will press you into Christ Jesus. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight. Number seven, more than anything else, God uses people to heal people, trying to get your attention, going somewhere in just a moment with you about you. But more than anything, God uses people to heal people. Henry Cloud is a great, um, we've, we've sat underneath Henry Cloud at Celebrate Recovery Seminars. We have some of his books. Uh, he's a doctor. He's an author. One of his biggest sellers is Boundaries. He wrote with Dr. Townsend. But Dr. Henry Cloud is a licensed clinical psychologist, a believer, and he has a great ministry. And he often works with people that have these kind of mats. And he writes about a time that he was at an inpatient hospital and a very famous Christian leader was in that hospital because he could not beat something. He was in that hospital. He struggled with years for, he, with, he was in the group. And one morning he didn't come into group. And Henry went and knocked on his door, we'll call him Joe, and said, Joe, why didn't you come to group? He said, Mr. Henry, Dr. Henry, I relapsed last night. I can't go in there. He said, come on, you've got to come in there. He came into the group. He sat down in the group. He choked out his words. And for the first time in his entire life, he told about his as is tag. He told about what he'd battled. He told about what he'd gone through, that he couldn't ever tell a soul. But he kept his eyes down to the ground. And Dr. Henry Cloud said, Joe, I need you to look up. He said, I can't, I can't. He said, Joe, you've got to look up and look into the faces of those that you've just told the worst secret of your life. And Joe said that when he looked up and looked around the room, every heart was filled with compassion. Every person had tears flowing down their eyes and every person welcomed him. That's roof crashers where there's trust and humility and you can say, we're going to love you here. Someone give God a hand clap of praise for that. Years ago, there was a Sunday school teacher here. I didn't know about her mat. Only Pastor Hank and her husband knew. I had no idea. And she helped in many areas of, you know, taught Sunday school. Wonderful woman. Hardworking woman. And then everything just overflowed. Her husband and Pastor Hank had been working with her and on a plan. And finally, it just caught up with her. And so on a Sunday morning here at Harvest, she and her husband at Pastor Hank's direction stood up and talked and she came clean and told that she had been a narcotic user for many many years she had bought pills sold pills it gotten so out of hand that her husband had given her ultimative ultimatum they both stood up here a very humble man tears flowing down both of their faces waiting to see what the congregation was going to do that was a red letter day in the history of church of the harvest because as their eyes looked up the crowd stood on their feet and cheered. They wouldn't stop cheering. They wouldn't stop loving them. That's roof crashers. That's roof crashers that say, you're as is tag. Your weakness does not surprise me. And she went away to Teen Challenge. But I'm going to tell you something today. It's okay. It's okay to cheer someone on and say, you know what? I don't care what your as is tag. I don't care. I'm going to say to you today, look me in the eyes. I'm giving you nothing. 
nothing but a standing ovation. Jesus is coming for a church that will welcome the whosoevers that will say to them, you are welcome here. Come as you are, and we're going to leave it up to Jesus to do whatever Jesus wants to do in you. Someone give Christ a hand clap of praise. I love the scripture before we move to the end. We'll get to looking for an instrumental if you can. Um, it's a verse. It, it's so powerful. If you're a leader, you get this quoted from me. It says, without oxen, someone say, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. What in the world? What in the world? This is what the Proverbs is saying. Ministry is messy. If you're a control freak, you have to get rid of that. All the control freaks say with me, amen. If you like everything in order, you have to get rid of that. Because what this proverb is saying, oh, you can keep things clean, but you're not helping anybody. You can keep things in order, keep your life in order, everything just great. Never get um, inconvenience for anyone. Never put your words out for anyone. Never get messy. You see, these guys tore through a dirty roof with their hands. But if we say, I can't do that because it'll mess up my manicure, we're in trouble. If we say we can't do that because there might be pain involved, there will be no harvest. If we can't entreat people who don't look the same as us, I've been shocked by some people at this house that have told me they were unwelcomed at other churches. Let that never be said here because of the way you look or what you've been through. You see, if you want a large harvest, the writer of Proverbs says, the stable's going to have to be dirty. It's going to be messy. You're going to risk some things. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. And helping people, that's what it's about. The work that we do with people is, more, is messier than you can imagine. My husband has such a heart to help men that are in messy situations. I couldn't handle two days of what he gets often in a week. But he knows there can be no harvest. When we came to this hill, it got messy from day one in helping people. Because if you want things clean and in order and never any sweat coming off of your brow, I say this to myself as well, and I just want to do what I can manage. I just want to do what I can, you know, I'm an introvert. I just want to come out once a month. You can do that. But your gifts are going to die on the vine. Unless you step out to say, it's not my nature, but I'm going to get involved. It's not my nature to serve. It's not my nature to be there, but I'm going to get involved. And it'll be messy. You ever watch me in the middle of, sometimes it's queen for a day. Sometimes it's the Esther. Sometimes it's the work we do. When we went out into the, um, I think I can say this, we went out into the housing developments. Some of the people we ran into, the girls were just laughing the way I was going back and forth with them. It got messy a couple of times. A man wanted me to get in the van with him. <laughs> Drink soda, and I didn't look cute at all. And I was like, no, not getting in the van with you today. My sisters are coming across right here, and they're fixing to pick me up because I was always the one that would go to the end of the complex by myself, especially when it came down to only three of us because I didn't want the girls to do it. So I said, I'm going to the end. Just come get me. Keep your phone on. And uh, it got messy, and the girls just laughed. The people I encountered, what I would say to them, I said, this isn't my first messy rodeo. Can I get an amen? It's not just clean. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord is speaking to us. We want to do great things for God. But let's just keep it real orderly and clean. Let's not mess up anything or mess up my time or mess up my agenda, mess up my priorities. To get among the people, Jesus broke through the dirt of humanity. Number eight, Christ often works something life-changing in us before he changes our situation. Christ often works something life-changing in us before he changes our situation. Track with me for a minute. Don't give up. Stay with me. We're almost done. It says in Mark 2, why are you thinking these things? See, Jesus heard what they were saying. Aren't you glad Jesus is in the room right now, but he is hearing what we're saying. He could hear what they were saying in their heart. Why are you saying it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to get up your mat and walk? 
But this is what he says, but that you may know, someone say that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. This was the first time, track with me, this was the first time that Jesus proclaimed himself in the book of Mark to be the Savior of the world. The Son of Man to forgive sins. In a moment they didn't think. You see, they wanted something spectacular. The guys that lowered him through the roof, I think at this point, would say, that is great. You've forgiven him his sins. We didn't know he had any. We brought him in here to be healed. But what Jesus is saying and what he's saying to all of us, there's some situations the Lord says to us tonight, I've not changed because I want to change you first. I want to prepare you for what I'm going to give you. And I'm going to work inside of you. Pastor Billy Burke has often given me words through the years, and I'll say, are you talking about ministry? He goes, why do you always want to go back to ministry? If you've never, if you've never said it under him, he can just really get out there. Um, why do you always talk about ministry? I'm talking about what's inside of you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, the Lord is wanting to work on the inside of you. I'm going to tell you something. Holy Spirit is determined that he would make you and I look like Jesus Christ. Before he opens any door for you, before he sets you forth anything, he wants to change your inside. They were wanting something spectacular. Jesus had already raised the dead or, or, or healed the lepers and cast out spirits by this time. But they were wanting something spectacular, the four that lowered him. But Jesus said, I want to do. But what I love is that Jesus is present. The next door is the door of obedience. And this is where it becomes responsible. And we're almost done. Hang with me. It says in 2, 1, and 5 that Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to tell you something tonight. Roof crashers, we just got to do what all we can do. If you get into a position that you're constantly judging what you can see by what you invest, you are going to short-circuit yourself out of doing things for the Lord. If you don't do what you can do, reach what you can reach. If you've been praying for someone and hadn't come through, if you've been believing for someone, and if you're judging your fruit by that, you're going to get short-circuited. You see, Jesus said to the man, get up and walk but the door of obedience the man had to walk through I'm going to tell you something that person you're praying for you can do it all but at the end they got to walk it out you can help you can pray you can do we have a saying in recovery you got to want it Peggy will call me I'm going to pick up somebody from Florida they just had an unbelievable situation with a girl from Florida I mean it, it would write it, books could be written about it and we kept saying she wants it she doesn't want it but she didn't want it it's the same way with people we're praying for. You can do all you can, but at the end, they've got to want it. But Jesus said on your paper, I am the what? Look at your paper. Everyone say, I am the door. This is the incredible thing, guys. This is how miraculous this is. His, he has paralyzed his whole life. Atrophy would have been the whole life. My dad experienced atrophy when he fell and laid for 24 hours. And I know it took weeks for him even to lift his arm. He can do it now. He can make speedy walks down the hill. And they tell me how many times he walks in front of Garden Plaza with his walker because he's a fall risk. But for a while, he couldn't even touch his face. I sat in Erlanger with him by his bed and sent my siblings pictures. Pictures I ran back over today just because I wanted them to be on point, be on part of our daddy, our strong, amazing daddy who was strong that day before but who was laying and unable to even reach up and couldn't remember what year it was or anything. I saw someone with that. This man had had his, all, his whole life, but Jesus didn't just heal his body. He healed his soul. He healed his heart. And he was enlarged to get up and to walk. But Jesus said, I'm the door. Another verse on here before we go into the last door, and I'm leading to it. These are the words of him who is faithful. Someone say faithful. And true, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, says the Lord. See, I have placed before you. Right there, everybody stop, look up. You just think when the Lord says, I know your deeds, you think, oh, no. Oh, this is terrible. Where do I go hide, you know? Oh, God, help me, Jesus. Like Melissa, who's not here tonight, used to think they are going to show a big movie of everything she'd ever done when she got to heaven. I know your deeds. But this is the cool thing. He said, I know your deeds. And you think, this is going to be bad. But then he said, see, I've placed before you an open door. He's speaking to the good things. I know your sacrifices. I know your faithfulness. I know the service that you give. 
I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength that you have kept my word and not denied my name. He is. Someone say, He is the door. This is what it says to someone in this room or someone listening by podcast tonight. Thank you so much for listening to what the Lord says. I am placing an open door before you. I know you've got little strength. I know that obstacle and that opposition has seemed like much. I know that battle has waged against you for many years, but I know you've kept my word and you've not denied me even though you've been weak and hurting. So I want you to know I have paid attention and I have an open door coming. Someone came, amen. Someone say amen. The next door is the door of revelation. Revelation. And here's Will Will part to the end. So you can put your pen down and then I'll give you the last blank. Because he's the door, he's saying, when all other doors are blocked for you. Now I'm speaking to you, not as the fellowship of the mat, but I'm speaking there's another door to encourage you. When all other doors seem blocked, I am the door, says Jesus. I will make a way. I am the door. When people hurt you and you think they're the door, they're not the door. Someone say they're not the door. People who betrayed you, they're not the door. They can all walk away. They can deny they ever knew you. But the Lord says, you watch me do what I can do. Can I get an amen? God will use a banker. God will use a president. God will use a friend. God will use a heathen. God will use anyone at any time because he is the door. Can I get an amen? He says, I'll open a door. No mistake in your life. No sickness. No situation. Even if they roll a stone in front of a situation, I'll push back the stone in front of that. I am the door. And this is what he says. This man walked in being carried on this mat. And there's things in some lives here tonight are listening that things have held you in not a good way. They've held you. You see, this held him. They had to lower him and it held him. He could not walk. They had to get him through that room. It held him. But after he encountered Jesus, when Jesus said, this is bigger than just you, I'm going to reveal who I am in your life. And when people see what I've done, they're going to give glory to God. I'm going to tell you, when I see someone say they've been clean for eight years, or they've been clean for two years, or they've been clean for six months, or I hear someone give testimony how they got through a cancer diagnosis, I want to tell you, I see Jesus in that revelation. And I'm telling you what he's saying is, instead of that thing holding you, you will be holding it. The paralytic went out holding his own mat. He went out holding it. What once held him, and that's the back side of it, what once held him, he now held it. What are you saying, Pastor Rhonda? I'm saying on the other side of something you're going through, something that you feel is holding you, the Lord says it may have once held you, but you are going to hold it. And the same door he was not invited through, he walked out with the critics and the haters. Come on, somebody. He walked out with those who did not make room for him, those who did not recognize him, those who didn't want Jesus even to heal him because Jesus was working outside of the box. What may have looked like disappointment, what may have looked like opposition, Jesus said, you'll be holding it. It will no longer hold you. Somebody give Jesus praise tonight. Come on. And I love what the verse says. It says at the end of Mark 2, this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm ready to hear some of that. Are you? I'm ready to hear some personal testimonies. I'm ready to hear for some people that I'm believing for miracles in their life. I'm ready to hear, I have never seen God do something like this. I have never seen God raise up the timid and make them brave. I have never seen God turn a situation around that somebody said was hopeless. I have never seen God restore like that. I have never seen God multiply that. I have never seen people win that have never won before. But the Lord says, get ready because you're going to see it now. Someone give Jesus another hand clap of praise and I promise we're almost done. Come on, give him a big praise. So listen to this, Ruth Crashers. I've talked about you and the people you're helping. 
about you believing for yourself and the people you need to crash the roof for. Some of you need to crash the roof for yourself. I had a picture of my parents. We won't show it, but they were the ultimate ones to believe in me when I couldn't believe for myself. That God has people in your life. God has someone. Remember your roof crashers, but stay dependent upon Jesus alone. Someday, all the roof crashers might be gone. Maybe you little young things will be living upon the earth, should he tarry. And you'll realize how sweeter Jesus is. His body has been healed. The paralytic heart had been healed. His soul had been healed. This was a miracle, a manifested miracle. But imagine when he becomes an 80-year-old man. Think about it. The other members of the Fellowship of the Mat are using walkers and canes because his legs are still running. He got an amazing warranty from Jesus Christ. One by one, maybe his friends all pass away. And every time he looks at his mat, he remembers his community that crashed the roof for him. And he's thankful. I want to tell you something about people that receive mercy. They never forget it. And God help us. Number nine, but Jesus is the ultimate roof crasher. And he will make a way where there seems to be no way. I've already said that. He will make a way. Let me read the closing box before I pray for you. God wants us to get this message. What society puts out, God puts in. What the world writes off, God picks up. Why did he pick you up? He wanted to. After all, you were his and he made you. No matter how long you've waited or how much time you wasted, you are his and he has a place for you. Tonight, I want you to ask the Lord before we pray. Lord, show me there's another door. Maybe I've been waiting for this door to open or that one. I've gone through the door of disappointment, and I've been so disappointed. Disappointment has a way of bullying you to where you don't want to ask the Lord for the things that you've been disappointed. I've walked through the door of opposition, and I feel like I've been fought. And we all like to use the word haters. Even five-year-olds say, yeah, I got a hater. You don't have a hater if you're five years old. Critics, opposition, but we ought to thank God for them because they press us into God when something else wouldn't work. That door of revelation, we understand who Christ has made us to be and we come to know him. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you that you have called us all to be the fellowship of the mat. Those who say we're not looking for perfect community come here come one come all we accept you lord for those who feel like they're being opposed at the door of opposition i pray they would hold on and press through to you You are the door victory will be secure for those that are going through the door of disappointment and things they've prayed about or believed for and they haven't happened in the way they thought they would Lord, I pray for faith for them to ask again in the very area of disappointment. For, Lord, you are faithful. Lord, for those that are in that door of obedience. Lord, it's hard work sometimes to follow you. The things that you require of us, even inside of ourselves, the things we have to let go, the way we have to train our mind can be difficult. But, Lord, let us be obedient. And, Lord, continually reveal yourself to us. Most of all, Lord, let us keep our eyes on you, Christ Jesus. And let us continue to reach out and raise the roof for others who need you. Lord, thank you tonight for reminding us that if there's work and if there's a harvest, it's going to be messy. But if we keep it clean, it's empty. And we have nothing, Lord, at the end of our life. Let us ordain our days. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening tonight. We appreciate you and we speak blessings to you in the name of the Lord.